you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. I love uh, the hymnal. I love hymns. Uh, some of you uh, might not have come from a tradition where you have a book in the seats in front of you uh, with a bunch of songs put together. Uh, for years, uh, I put songs up on screens and we put them in our bulletins since we've started COVID. Uh, but there's a book in front of you, uh, tucked down under there, that's just full of sheet music, because we all read sheet music, but uh, it's got a collection of songs that some group thought uh, were worthy of bringing together for the church. And uh, they're kind of a reflection of a moment in time. Our hymnal has not been updated since 1982, uh, so uh, you've you got to hold everything with a grain of salt, uh, but it's a living document, a, a, a collection of things that speak to the communal faith of the church. Uh, some of the hymns that we now think of as classic in here, ones that might be amongst your favorites, you know, the mighty, A Mighty Fortress is Our God and uh, Here I Am, Lord. These are actually fairly new. Within my mother's lifetime, these were contemporary worship, uh, but now they are uh, canonized within our hymnal as uh, those texts worthy of preservation and, and singing. Uh, I am not naive enough to think that you go home and remember every word I say during my sermon. I don't uh, think maybe on Wednesday afternoon you can remember every uh, line that I put out there in each little illustration, but I am suspicious that, or I suspect, uh, that often throughout the week you get a little earworm from one of the songs that week. And you find yourself singing a little bit about grace, grace, God's grace. I don't want to sing because I am not built for a trio or a solo. Uh, Darren is, I'm not. I'm built for uh, sitting back in the back of the tenor section. Uh, but I, I imagine you hear these in your head, right? It is well with my soul. What are some of your favorite hymns? And I'm using, using hymns more broadly. Uh, we, we have modern hymn writers who are writing beautiful gifts to the church that will be in our next hymnals. At some point, we'll update this thing. Uh, we'll start, we'll start kind of doing some more work, and, and we'll add new songs. But what are some of your favorite hymns? Because he lives. Because he lives. Blessed assurance. Blessed assurance. Trust and obey. In the oh, in the garden. You immediately start feeling those songs if you know them, don't you? Trust and obey. There's no other way. I learned to play violin on the hymn, hymnal. Uh, we needed music uh, to, to keep practicing our skills, and I hated, sorry, April, I hated scales. This is why I could not make it into music school. I hated scales and I hated all these things, but I loved hymns. And so uh, I would sit and play a screeching violin in fourth and fifth grade in my living room. And my parents never told me, that sounds terrible. Uh, but uh, these became my friends as I learned the violin. And I imagine for some of you, as you uh, look across your life, you've got friends that have stuck with you uh, from the music of the church. It's not too uncommon uh, to be in a room with someone who is... Uh, finishing their journey in faith, whose uh, mind might not be all there, who uh, has struggled, and then uh, somebody starts to sing a hymn, and they all of a sudden are lucid. They're singing Amazing Grace with you. It is well with their soul. 
they're joining the thousand tongues that sing. The Methodists are a singing people. Wesley has a set of rules within the hymnal about how we should sing with gusto and sing with uh, certain ways. And we're a people who uh, come from a brotherhood, brother, uh, a team of two brothers. John Wesley uh, was the preacher, and Charles Wesley was the poet. Charles wrote poems and hymns over every verse of Scripture. Some of our most famous hymns come from his pen, and uh, and my my hymn of all hymns is his. Uh, Maybe our theme song, And Can It Be? Um, this song has always been beautiful to me. When I got to Asbury, though, it, it was kind of referred to as the fight song. And it was sung at our opening convocation. Everybody is there. We're all excited about seminary. We haven't gotten any jaded yet. Like, it's super, super exciting time. And we are singing with gusto at a proper tempo, And Can It Be? Uh, it becomes a heart song for me. Uh, down the road uh, a bit later when I'm uh, trying to discern where uh, vocationally I'm heading. I'm the church's executive pastor and I'm feeling this tinge of something more and I'm helping out here at Andover and uh, the choir does the most beautiful arrangement of And Can It Be I've ever heard. We've done it like three times now because it's that beautiful. Darren hates it because it's really high for the tenors, but it is incredible. Tim Keller, a famous Presbyterian pastor from New York City, passed away uh, maybe a month or so ago from prostate cancer after a long, hard battle, and they just had his memorial service this past week, uh, and he invited this good Wesleyan hymn to be part of his funeral, and he wrote notes about why he chose the hymns he did, and this, he said, is the gospel. Find that book near you. Look, at, look in your seat in front of you. You on the front row should have one kind of near you. You might have to share uh, you know, we haven't touched them since before COVID, so like, <sighs> blow off the, the dust. Uh, and turn with me to page 363. I would have made you do this even if the screens were working, but the screens are not working. So it's a fitting invitation to, uh, to what El Ellsworth Callis called the great devotional book, uh, our hymnal. Number 363, and can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? You could just stop there and it would be a tremendous chorus The acknowledgement that uh, who am I that I can participate in Christ's saving work? And then uh, Wesley, though, continues, "'Tis mystery all, the mortal dies. Who can explore his strange design? In vain the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine. "'Tis mercy all, let earth adore let angel minds inquire no more. Tis mercy, tis mystery, right? That the immortal would die, that God would take on flesh for us. And that's right where Wesley leads us into verse 3. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. 
Tis mercy all immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. This is Philippians 2, the great Christ hymn that uh, Jesus, though God, emptied himself, took on flesh, left behind the divine prerogative, and found us. Continues, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, I woke, the dungeons flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And we often talk at communion about uh, how we participate in Christ's death and resurrection, uh, and Wesley invites us into the very tomb of death. And then out that open door with our chains set free, with our death cloths uh, set aside, so that he can then bring us to verse 5. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. This is the gospel. It's a gospel that um, is weighty and costly. It's a gospel that recognizes uh, something deep about uh, the good news of Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer encouraged the church in Germany uh, to embrace a costly grace. That it is a weighty thing uh, that Christ has done and offers to us. What I love that Wesley does here is he invites us to see the true cost. And he invites us into this through this picture of mercy. Uh, We often talk about God's grace, and I love that, right? Like it is, it's one of the top Christian scrabble words there is, is grace, right? Grace is God giving us that which we did not deserve. Is that a fair definition? Does anybody object uh, to that very simplified understanding of grace? That God gives us what we don't deserve. We did nothing to earn Christ's death and resurrection. We did nothing uh, to uh, uh, make it fair that the Holy Spirit would come at Pentecost. We didn't do anything, and God lavishes us with that. But we often leave out mercy, which is the other part of the, uh, the gospel. It's the other part of grace. It's the part where God does not give us what we do deserve. I much prefer to, to, to talk about grace um, it fits my, uh, my hermeneutic. It fits uh, how I want us as a church to be, to talk about the abounding grace of God. Uh, but we're, we're, uh, we're at cheap grace if we don't talk about his mercy. And it is throughout scripture. Uh, we, we see in the very beginning of the story of God and his people, God creates them and they are living in this uh, utopic environment this place where God and humanity dwell together uh, with one prohibition, don't eat from this one tree. If you eat from this, you shall die. And we all know some version of the story where uh, the serpent comes and says to the the first people, uh, surely God didn't say if you eat from this, you will die. And so they eat and their eyes are opened and they gain uh, knowledge of life and death. They hide in shame for their nakedness and they uh, try to 
um, to separate themselves from God, to, uh, to run in fear. And God finds them and confronts them uh, with their actions. And in this moment, God would be completely just in saying, you ate the fruit, you're dead. Because this is the words of the text, right? Uh, if you eat from this, you shall die. You can eat from the rest of it, be fruitful and multiply, but this one tree you shall not eat from. But God doesn't do that. God would also be just if God said, well, you have separated yourselves from me, and so I am never uh, going to draw near to you again. You're set free to do whatever you want, and you're out there. Don't ever come crawling back to me. And he doesn't. At every turn, he is merciful and then graceful. We uh, see this throughout the Old Testament, maybe uh, nowhere more clearly than when Moses is up on the Mount of Sinai receiving the law, and the people are down there waiting, and they're getting impatient, so they decide, let's, let's melt down uh, all of our precious stuff, and let's make an idol so that we can see an image of God. Uh, he's literally saying, don't make an idol up on the top of this mountain, and these people are making an idol. Smoting, or smiting, or whatever the, uh, the participle form of that would be uh, justified in that moment. And you even see God's anger but he doesn't. He's merciful and then lavishes them with grace. We see this in the covenant God makes with Abraham and Moses and with David, that at every point he is the one that will hold together the covenant because he knows we can't, and so he is merciful on us. He could have made a covenant and said, fine, you broke this law, but we're going to make a new covenant, but the next time you break the law, you're going to be just like these dead animals. And instead he says, I'll keep the covenant for you. And he offers up his mercy. We see mercy uh, in the exile. They've received law. They've been told this is how we should live. This is how you should act. And, uh, and they don't. They worship foreign gods. They trample upon one another. And where God would have been justified in smiting them, he instead draws near to them. He sends Israel into exile, and, and we see this picture in Ezekiel of what is supposed to be devastating, God leaving the temple. But what we fail to consider is that God is leaving the temple to go to where they are in exile. God is going to meet Ezekiel in the rivers of Babylon. God is going to meet them out in Nineveh. God will follow them to the depths of wherever they go. And then we do begin to read in the prophets that something is going to come and something is going to happen. There'll be a Messiah, an anointed one, a Christ. And Christ comes. And we get the gospel story and we get this picture of life where we get things like today's story where Jesus offers uh, welcome to those who shouldn't be welcomed. And their narrative, the Canaanite woman, uh, should never receive God's grace. And Jesus has, he's been clear. I've come for Israel. Uh, God's grace will be for the rest of you soon. We're getting there. I promise there's somebody coming after me. He's going to be the, the one doing this. But we get these glimpses throughout Jesus' life where he offers mercy to those who their society would say you should not offer mercy to. And then Jesus dies and is raised from the dead. 
This is atonement theory. If you want your uh, level up, triple word score, uh, Christian Scrabble word, atonement theory is uh, what happens at the cross. And we can talk about different things happening where Jesus, with Jesus when he has died and raised. Uh, and there are two principal atonement theories that are not in conflict with each other, but they frequently are put in conflict with each other. Uh, the first is the one, uh, it's called penal substitution. It's a legal term that Christ substituted himself for our sins. That in the divine courtroom, we deserve to die, but Christ died for us, taking the weight of our sin and allowing us to be uh, kind of innocent in the courtroom of God. This can be nothing but mercy, that God would take on flesh and die for us. And only then do we get the grace that he offers us freedom from sin and death, that uh, we can no longer, or that we are no longer bound up in this thing that would trap us and pursue us to death. It's grace and mercy. It's two sides of the same coin. Tis mercy all, immense and free. For, oh my God, it found out me. Friends, may we never forget the mercy of God. That God, who did not give us what we deserved, and instead, through his own grace, gave us that which we never did deserve. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Tis mystery, God. How you would take on flesh and die for us and in your mercy uh, bear that which we should have borne. Tis mystery uh, the depths of your mercy and love. Lord, we are uh, grateful beyond words for mercy and grace and for your un unfailing love. Lord, as we go from this place, would you remind us uh, of your invitation to be a merciful and grace-filled people, to offer uh, that which you offered us to the world. Lord, as we come to this table, would you uh, remind us of how we die with you and how through your spirit are raised to new life. We thank you, O oh God, of mercy and grace. Amen. Amen.